Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
Welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. The year keeps moving along. It's January 13th, 2019, our second show of the year. It's a it's a cold day here in New York. A little bit of snow, some flurries this morning, a little bit of ground coating, but uh, it's all gone right now. The cold remains. All right, we got a great show for everybody tonight. Eric Moore of The Gods is our guest. We'll be talking to Eric in about a half hour or so. We'll get on all the music we can between now and then. And afterwards, we'll talk about what's going on in the world of heavy metal this week and anything and everything else that's kind of bothering me. <laughs> so uh, let's jump back into the music. Oh, right there, Obsession. Only the Strong will survive off their first EP. Will we ever get a new Obsession record? I don't know. I know Mike Viscari did a, a GoFundMe thing, uh, one of those... Uh, Campaigns where you raise money quite a few years back And I believe that was supposed to be uh, For the new Obsession record But I haven't heard anything about it Seen anything about it Mike's put out some of his solo music between now and then But it would be nice to get a new Obsession record It would be even nicer if he can get most of That original lineup or that classic lineup Back together for that record That would be solid Alright let's jump into some Alien right here Great band out of New York back in the day A little bit on the hair metal side But not really just more of the glam look you know, they kind of went, uh, here in New York, there was a great band called Lace. Um, they dressed like they were transvestites, like they were out of a Rocky Horror Picture Show, but they just kicked ass on stage, and the music was hot and heavy. And Alien was sort of in that vein. You know, they had the look, uh, but the music was there, and they were a good band. Uh, all they put out was the Cosmic Fantasy EP. I want to say that was back in 1983 on uh, Mongol Horde Records. There was only about five songs on there, if I remember. There was a reprise of the Cosmic Fantasy song and then a, like a two-minute instrumental. But they had a killer demo tape out a year before in 82. Uh, that's how I first got into band when I was tape trading back then. Somebody sent that to me. There's about 10 songs, I believe, on that demo tape. Uh, I was hoping that the Atomic Age of Glitter would have made it onto the album, but it didn't. Uh, but I still have a copy of that demo tape, and I do play it on and off until today. Uh, if the quality of these demos wasn't so bad and the quality of the sound here on Block Talk Radio wasn't so bad, I'd play more demo tapes. But it's like listening to a piece of shit. So let's go to the album. Here's Don't Say Goodbye. <laughs>
Tear Up the Night off the New World Order record. I believe that was about two years old now. It might even be three, because we are in 2019. I think it came out in uh, 2016. The band's first new record in probably two and a half decades, and they did a great job on that. band's working on new material right now. We might see that by the end of this year. You know, Keep your eye out. Like the Facebook page of the group and uh, pick up the new record when it does come out. Before that, Fate's Warning. Man, I love these guys, especially the earlier Fates Warning. Pirates of the Underground comes off the band's second record, Deceptor Within. I did a metal matinee show. Uh, right? We used to do a metal matinee around here years ago where it was like a one-hour theme show on, on a Wednesday. And uh, I did a show called The Holy Trinity where I picked out bands whose first three records, to me, were masterpieces. I mean, they really defined who the band were, their sound and style. Everything they did after that was kind of shit. I mean, that's subject to my opinion. Other people will tell you differently, you know. Uh, but when I did that show years ago, you know, Fates Warning were one of the bands that I had on there. Night on Brock in the band's debut. The album I just played the song off of The Scepter Within and Awaken the Guardian. The band's first three records uh, were just incredible albums. I mean, you know, John Arch, an amazing vocalist. I loved everything he did with the band. I'm not saying anything bad, you know, about the albums that, we're done with Ray Alder, which came in after that. I think No Exit was the first record with him in 88. They were good records, but it was just a different sounding band. It, to me, it wasn't the same Fates Warning that put out those first three records, and I just loved them. Everything they did after that kind of was like a hit and miss thing to me. Uh, a lot of albums kind of fell by the wayside uh, around the Inside Out period, and I really didn't pay much attention to the band until Fear of the Flight came out a couple of years ago. Uh, but just love those early albums. I know I had Manowar on there, the first three Manowar. Slayer was on there, Venom, Merciful Fate, a lot of bands like that. They had a lot of records out after that, and none of them really, you know, meant anything to me like those first three. I have to go look up that that uh, show and maybe uh, bring back some of those metal matinees again. They were pretty fun to do back in the day. All right, Eric Moore will be calling in in about five minutes. We'll talk to him. Let's play one more tune between now and then and after an interview. You know, we'll talk about everything going on in the world of metal this week. Not a lot happening, you know, but uh, there's a few things we could get into. Let me see what I can do for you right now. How about uh, we'll go to Sneak Attack. Uh, this is actually off the demo. We were talking about demos before. Here's Ultrasonic Metal. Yeah. 
Man, Sneak Attack. That's off the demo tape. That was also on the Born to Metalize record that came out, I want to say, 1984. Yeah, I think around 1984. It was a split record on uh, Megaforce. It had The Beast, Sneak Attack, Torture Dog, and Hades. Had a couple of songs on there. Uh, really good band. I had them on the show. I had the drummer on the show uh, about five years ago, I want to say. And I came real close to getting those guys back together. Uh, he was trying. It just didn't happen. Uh, Mark married a drummer. We just couldn't make it happen. Uh, Mac the Singer, I think, was the one guy that they couldn't get in touch with or couldn't find. I'm not really sure. I don't remember. It was a while ago. But a real solid act. I mean, when you think it, when you listen to them, there's a lot of overkill in that band. I mean, you can hear it in the vocals, a lot of Bobby Blitz in there, even some of the guitar work. Uh, very like, you know, in the overkill vein. But they were a good band. A couple of demo tapes out and that EP, that split EP. That was about it from those guys. I'm still working on trying to reunite one of these classic bands. I mean, I tried with Savage Thrust. It didn't happen at the time, but they did get back together. So maybe I can take a little credit for that. You know, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. I actually have a show coming up, I believe. I have to check the band's website and uh, check it out. See where they're playing. Go check those guys out. All right, we're going to have Eric Moore calling in in about a minute or so. We'll just wait. Before we jump into any more music So we don't have to stop playing the song And we'll do that We gotta talk about uh, the festivals later on I've been on a rant and rave I think like all this year about these festivals How they've kind of jumped the shark uh, The old TV term like when a TV show You know it's be popular Kind of faded out I know a lot of people disagree with me Because they love going to them Love being a part of them And there still are some really good bands on them uh, But I just feel like that time has come and gone now And maybe it's either time to scale it down or, you know, maybe reset the goals of who's having these festivals and who's being on them because it just seems like, you know, they reunite these bands and they're not really reunions. It's one member. Uh, Keep It True Festival this year was supposed to have cities on the bill, all the original members. Well, I shouldn't say all the original members. AJ Pierre was not with us anymore. You know what? We'll talk about this a little later. I believe we have Eric on the line. Let's connect them. Let's get this interview going. So bear with me a second. Eric, this is Mike. Can you hear me? Yes, I can, Mike. Hey, it's a pleasure to talk with you today, Eric. You're on the air live. Great. Hey, listen, I go back with the gods. Remember, you know, being such a Chris fanatic in the 70s, and you guys were signed to the same label and uh, went out with them. So I said, you know what? Let me check this band out. And bam, a gods fan was born. Yeah, they told me I had a good time. I <laughs> did you? It must have been good. You don't remember. Well, most of the good times are kind of a blur, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are the best ones, aren't they? Yes, they are. <laughs> uh, that's good to know. But I'm glad you think about it. Four plus decades, you're still doing this. You're still having a good time, it appears, at least if you can remember. And hopefully there'll be new music coming soon. Yeah, I've got a, a bunch of new stuff. Uh, it's in different directions. I'm going down to uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, to work with a group in about six weeks. And uh, these are guys you would not normally think that, you know, that I'd be connected with. You know, the the whole anti-scene, you know, complete, uh, just oblivion kind of intellect. And yeah. they they did some of my material and sent it to John Gard, my manager, for a 
for a tribute album thing, and they just really stuck out because, you know, most everybody, you know, approaches my material in the normal kind of way, you know, like a like a cover band doing another band's material. And I, I did that for years when I started out. But these guys just kind of take everything, turn it inside out, speed it up, slow it down, change the words to just uh, ridiculous, rebellious things. And instead of, you know, some bands, when they do the material, eh, it sounds good. Some bands, when they do the material, it sounds like somebody beating your children. I mean, you know, <laughs> it hurts. It hurts to listen to. But yeah. these guys, you know, they, yeah, they turned it inside out, but they made it kind of cool. And uh, I like that. Yeah, that sounds great. Do you think people are afraid to maybe tinker with your stuff because, you know, it's classic stuff. I mean, it's old school stuff, and they know you from that time like I am. Do they think, you know, you think that made us, you know what, we don't want to mess around with the formula because maybe that's not what Eric is into. But then somebody does it, and they blow you away. Yeah, it's, you know, John's done, uh, he's produced three of these tribute things. and We've had like 150 bands from around the world do a song of mine and send it in. And it is humbling. It is, you know, it's, it's wonderful. Like I said, some of them are pretty bad. Some of them are absolutely great. Gives me a chance to, you know, but my stuff is real basic standard stuff. I don't write real complicated material. And, you know, it, it should be easy to just, you know, do a, a bang up cover on. But some people go out of their way to make it theirs. And that's when it's really cool. Because when someone hands you something back that you did, and it's better. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, it makes a lot of the grief worthwhile, you know. Yeah, I, I could imagine. I mean, yeah, yeah. If you go back to the beginning or almost to the beginning, it, it's the mid seventies. You know, there's a lot of commercial rock going on, AOR rock going on. You got bands like you know Kiss who are trying to you know break out of that mold and do something different. The gods are in there. I guess you started like every bar band, you know, playing covers, mixing in originals. You know, when did it all start and how did it come about? As far as the gods are concerned. Yeah, it's the goal. Oh, uh, 75, I guess. I, I was playing in a band called Sky King, and it had Bob Hill on guitar and Glenn Catalan on drums, and we were your standard club band. I'd been in a band called Capital City Rockets. We were on Electric Records, and just playing in this band, you know, the band, you know, the typical band, it's got a keyboard, it's got a chick singer. And you're playing six nights a week, 50 weeks in a row, all these different joints. And I was going nuts. And I, you know, it was great money, but that's, you know, that was driving me insane. And I'm writing all this stuff and wanting to do something. And I went to the people in that band and I say, listen, I, I got like 20 songs. You know, look, let's try to do these and see what happens. And, you know, the girl singer looked at some of the pages that I had the lyrics written on, and she said, well, I can't be in a band that would play songs like this. 
I said, okay, then you're not going to be in the band. Bye. And I took off, and you know, me and Glenn went out and found us a guitar player. Working in a music studio, young guy, never really been in a, a real band, named Mark Hatfield. But boy, was he good. He was really special. And it just kind of went from there. Yeah. Was Ohio a tough place to kind of make your bones? I mean, Columbus is a big place, but, you know, the music focus back then, you know, especially like New York City, you know, Los Angeles, maybe even like up in Chicago. Was it harder to do this in, in Ohio to build up the band's name and reputation? Well, it it is in a way. We're like Columbus was, you know, I live up in Portage Lakes now up in Coventry. It's, you know, a lake cottage. I'm, you know, a happy guy up here, but in Columbus, it, it was pretty rough because it was right in between Nashville and Detroit. And there's, you know, you got the influences of both places, but then again, it was kind of like a vacuum or something. There was no outlet for bands that were playing original material. Yeah. So I'd have to go out, you know, we'd work up three or four sets, which was the standard thing back then, you know, 40 on, 20 off, and I'd try one song at a time. I'd stick it in between a Rolling Stone song and a ZZ Top song, and if the audience stayed on the dance floor and they were happy, I'd go, well, maybe I've got a good song. Yeah. And after a while, I ended up, you know, with a couple of sets of all original material. And we went out and started doing it. But when I'm talking to the audience and stuff, I don't go, well, here's one that we wrote. You yeah, can't yeah. do that. You know, but I just went out there and did it. And nobody kind of noticed. Nobody complained. And the club owners were happy. We're setting attendance records and stuff. You know, not necessarily because of the material, mostly because we were outrageous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and it it just kind of worked. Yeah, th- those were the times people don't remember when bands went out and played three, four sets a night. You know, <laughs> it isn't like today where you go out and you do one show a week or every couple of weeks. It was like four a night, and you would play seven nights a week sometimes. Oh yeah, but I'll tell you the truth. I see a lot of bands now. I, I still go out and I check out what's happening live and it's hard to find a lot of live music. The venues aren't there and the bands aren't there. And you know, the ones that I do see, it's really a shame that they don't have that background. I got lucky because that period was kind of like vaudeville, you know, when you got to go out and you got to go through seven hours of entertaining a night you pull it out of your butt. You you pull songs out, and you've just got to do it. You walk into a place and you put on a show, and they stare at you. Well, you just don't quit. You got to find what it is you know how to do that will entertain them. And by the end of the week, you got a bunch of new fans. True. I mean, you know, as as much as, you know, they say when, you know, when you're doing rock and roll, you want to be that rock and roll rebel. You want to be, but you also have to kind of play the game, don't you, to, to, to further the band along if this is what you want to do and make it? 
yeah, you do, but it it was rock and roll. You know, I I didn't invent it. It was, it was around for about you know twelve, fifteen years before I was out trying to make a living doing that. So we didn't break any hardcore rules. Yeah. You know, we just we just went out and played rock and roll as good as we could do it. And after a while, you know, there's attrition. You know, guys just can't take the lifestyle or, you know, guys OD wreck their motorcycle or something, you know. But the ones that are left, we kind of paid our dues. Yeah, true. And, you know, like the end of the 70s, you know, you had two records out, you know, between Millennium and Casablanca. Uh, you know, and then I guess it all starts falling apart for the band, like, come the 80s, right? It did as far as those record labels went, but... You know, when you're playing constantly, you know, it all really changes sometimes is how big the places are, how much money you're making. Fact of the matter is, when damn near every night you're in front of folks, that's what counts. You know, that's why we do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the last record on Casablanca in, uh, I think it was 78, I want to say, Nothing is Sacred. When you come back with a new record seven years later, the entire rock and roll scene has changed. Things have gotten harder and heavier. Heavy metal now is like, you know, the war of the land. And, and the band kind of went along with that, didn't it? To a degree. I mean, you know, I've always done my material my way. And, you know, I've run into some bands and I've read some magazines even recently. They interview these bands and they go, well, yeah, the gods really influenced us. And I listen to them and I look at them. I go, how in the hell did I influence you? <laughs> you know, you look like something out of an old Bela Lugosi movie. And, you know, you're playing out of tune. You're singing about things that don't exist. You know, and my music's basically you start out doing, you know, hillbilly country music, speed it up, dirty it up, call it rock and roll. And, but I, I get it though. You know, I, I do understand, you know, because I went to see people like, you know, Little Richard and folks like that. And if he was to hear me do my stuff, he'd go, hey, I didn't influence you, man. You know, where you come out with that? And that's just the way it is. It just keeps on going. Yeah. You know, is it as much attitude that can influence you more than the music sometimes? That's that's probably the foundation of rock and roll is the attitude. You got to remember that that was happening when all those guys came back from World War Two, you know, and it's the mid 50s. And their kids are growing up and stuff. And these guys lived through the Depression. And, you know, they'd never gone anywhere. You know, I come from a family. I'm the only guy in my family that's ever been to Europe that didn't have to shoot Germans to get there. You know? <laughs> just, and you can imagine it. It was, it was a rebellious thing. And it, it was, you know... That's how the long hair and, and and drugs and the dress and everything that happened in the 60s, that came from that rebellion in the 50s. 
and yeah. it was really special music, and I still love it. I still listen to it. Yeah, same here. I mean, when you think about it, like in, in the early 50s when this music started to change and rock and roll started to come into play, I mean, out of all these artists that came out, who do you feel is the one guy that was the game changer? The guy that, you know, changed everything for everybody and nobody else could come close to what he did? Well, as far as making it acceptable to Caucasian folks, he, you know, it was Elvis Presley. Yeah. And you know, who was not very Caucasian if you look back at at him realistically. But I don't know that the guy who affected me through people, you know, the Beatles did a little bit, but the bands that really got me, besides folks coming out of Detroit, the folks coming out of England, I mean, they were buying into the roots of of rock and roll. They were buying into American blues stuff. And it was through them that I learned about this guy. I should have known about him. I'm, I'm an American. But it was through people like the Rolling Stones and the Animals and the Yardbirds that I found out about a guy named Chuck Berry. Yeah. Oh, my God. Changed my life. Yeah, I, I think he did that for a lot of people with his music and, and so many other artists from that generation. You know, you go through the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, you're into the 80s now. I mean, the gods are still active. You know, like I said, you, nothing is sacred comes out. You got I'll get you, Uraka, Mongolians comes out. I don't hear from the band no more after Mongolians. What happened? Uh, people, they burn out, they die. Yeah. I guess they, yeah. It it just happens. The the road is like that, you know. And most of my contemporaries, they're dead, and I miss them. And the only reason I'm here is pure luck. You got a lot of luck, I guess. I guess so. You know, if you talk to my <laughs> doctors, they're they're stymied. They can't figure it out. They think I should have been there a long time ago. Yeah. The, the, the rock and roll lifestyle is definitely something that can wear you down and tear you apart. But, you know, you, you actually, you know, you still keep doing it. I mean, even when you came back as Eric Moore, people still wanted to hear the gods. They, for some reason, they, they have to have that name in there. Yeah, I've, I've actually tried to get away from it a couple of times just to see if I could stand on my own. But I'll go out and I'll do my show. And even if I'm doing 100% new material, they still call it the gods. And hey, that's a great god song. I'm sorry, but then after a while you go, okay, you know, I'm not here you know, to completely educate people. I'm here to entertain people. And if that's what they view it as, Okay, fine. Who am I to argue? It's not, you know, it's not like I have a really great insight on who I am. They're the people. They tell me what I am. And when yeah. I come out with the song, they tell me it's a God song. I go, okay, fine. That's the way it is. 
But, you know, we come from a generation where, you know, when you're in a band, people consider it to be a band, four or five guys, three guys, and every member is a contributing member. But a lot of people consider Eric Moore to be the gods. I mean, a lot of great musicians in the band over the years, especially in the beginning, you know, like I said, with Robert and Mark, even Glenn, but a lot of people consider you to be the gods. Well, I, you know, that, that's complimentary, and and I, I like it. And, you know, I, I've always been the main songwriter and the front man. And so, you know, that that's where that comes from. But I've spent my whole career on the tall shoulders of a bunch of people that, you know, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. And every time that I've ever surrounded myself with people that are all better than me, that's when I've had a good band. Yeah. Yeah. It makes you better, right? It does. You got to keep up with them. If they're better musicians and singers and writers and, you know, better looking, better entertainers, all that stuff, it kind of makes you scramble a little bit. And that's normally when I'm better. Did music come easy to you? Because, you know, as kids, a lot of people pick up instruments that they don't know how to play. They try to figure it out on their own, write a song, because they just want to be in a band, you know, the whole sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing. Was music something that came natural, easy to you? Was it something that you really had to work at? No, it it was, uh, I started in church, oddly enough. You know, people think the name the gods is meant to be sacrilegious or some devil-worshipping, drug-taking rock and roll craziness thing. It's not. You know, it's just kind of like my own little church or something. I I don't know how to explain it. Um, the the music was, was always easy for me. Writing music was, I mean, I started on mandolin. I didn't even start on guitar. And, you know, there, I, but I was playing mandolin and, you know, doing rock and roll songs on a mandolin. It just, it just came. The, the second song I ever learned, I wrote. You know, I learned a song. I go, this is really great. And I was playing around with it and came up with my own way of doing it and called it mine. Yeah. Well, you, you know, recently I was reading uh, on one of the, the, the music news websites where two musicians from pretty popular, you know, arena-sized bands were complaining that, like, the new generation of kids or musicians or bands – don't know what it's like to suffer and sacrifice, like to to make it or like to get to the top. Do you, is suffering and sacrificing, you know, necessary? I mean, you can't just make it because you have some money and you're able to back your band up. Do you have to suffer for your music to really appreciate it? You know, I think it's probably like it's been that way with artists of every stripe since the beginning. And just the way it goes. Yeah, there's a little bit of suffering and. I suppose that adds some character to your music or something, but it, it sure makes it, it makes it when things are really good, it makes it better because you know what it's like when things are really bad. Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, you you've been in this business a long time. You've seen the changes. I mean, is there anything better today than say back in the '70s for a musician? I mean, record labels don't have the play or the power that they used to. Music comes and goes over the decades. Styles and genres change. Rock and roll is still rock and roll no matter how you look at it. But 
you know, as a musician, as an artist, or as a person in the business, is there anything you prefer about what's going on now than, say, 1976? Well, yeah, in a way, everything's better. I mean, you know, I, I can hang out with some of my old buddies and, you know, we can cop a buzz and complain about, oh, you know, they don't have it as rough as we did and all that kind of crap. And we're basically just acting like our parents. You know what I mean? Yeah. They said the same thing. But, you know, there's a few changes for one thing. There aren't big record companies anymore. You can get your telephone and record something with, you know, digital stuff. I was just getting a handle on analog and the whole world went digital. Yeah. You know? And and there are kids that are making recordings with their telephone and they can turn around and do a world tour. So it's it's better because the ability to record your art and get it out there and have people appreciate it, it's becoming easier for folks. And that's better. I can you know, I can bitch and moan about, you know, no one has to bleed like we did and everything. But they do in their own way, I think. Yeah. You know, the whole thing about getting in a band when you really get serious and you want to make it is, you know, we want to get signed to that major label. We want to get signed to a Casablanca and Atlantic and EMI. You've been there. When you get to that level and you get to that point, is it everything that it's cracked up to be? Is it everything that you thought it would be or expected it to be? Oh, it's better. I mean, you don't you don't have the ability. You know, I'm, I'm just... I'm an uneducated hillbilly guitar player from Ohio. I mean, come on. I I don't know anything about, you know, what was going on in Hollywood and Nashville and New York City and, you know, what real money brings and, you know, people are really aware of you in places you've never been. You can walk into a town that you've never been and there's thousands of people that already like you. Oh, life can be really good, <laughs> you know. And it's it, you can't imagine that when you're starting out because you don't have anything to base the, your fantasies on, nothing real. And when they really happen to you, you look around and you go, God, this don't get any better. And then next week it gets better. Um, yeah, it's it was it's pretty cool. It's it's a good way to live. Yeah, I'm sure of that. Well, you know, if you go back even to before the gods, uh, to Capital City Rockets, I think Bob was in that band with you uh, from the yeah. gods. There was a show in California. The Kinks were in the audience. Say that again. There was a show you guys played in California, wasn't there, where the Kinks were in the audience? Oh yeah, that was that was. That was great. That was that was a big deal to me. It was the first time we played the whiskey a go go, and to me the whiskey was always this, you know, it was like you know Johnny Rivers live at the whiskey a go go. You know, you listen to that, and you dream about it. And that, that was just the place to play. In L.A., there's bigger, neater places. You make more money and all that kind of stuff. Whiskey was really cool. And we walk out on stage, and we're playing, and uh, the the place was was packed, but they put a table out on the edge of the dance floor, and these guys come in and sit down, a bunch of long-haired guys, 
and we're playing, and I'm looking out, and all of a sudden, I recognize them. It's the damn chinks. And yeah. you know, I listened to them. I, I did a couple of their songs in different bands I was in. And I, I didn't freeze up or anything, but you know, I I tried to, you know, play as good as I could play and, and whatever, but that was pretty special. I, I can imagine. That's got to be an amazing thing when you're sitting in and they're watching you play. Yeah, my, my I, the singer in that band was uh, Jamie Lyons, and he was one of the most talented people I've ever been in a band with. He was a really special guy. And, you know, but him being him, not always thinking, just doing, he's an impulsive kind of guy. He goes, hey, to waiter, he goes, hey, listen, whatever they're drinking, uh, just put it on the band's tab. They say we're drinking wine that was $100 a bottle and going through <laughs> a bunch of bottles. We ended up owing Whiskey a Go Go money when we got done. <laughs> That sounds like a Blues Brothers thing from the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, oh, let me tell you, that, you can ask a lot of musicians. You know, if you're a professional musician and you came up through the ranks, the Blues Brothers movie was brilliant, and it touched on a lot of real things that really happened. Yep. I can imagine. There's got to be a book in there somewhere for you. I mean, you got to have a book's worth of material to tell. I don't know if it in the old days, if a book was really dirty or something, they would advertise it saying, yes, this book is banned in Boston. It's too dirty to sell. God, they could, I don't know how you would market a book about the stuff that I've done. That's funny. You know, Eric, I'm not going to keep you long, man. I appreciate you talking to me today because I want to get on a couple of songs you think we're going to see new music by you uh, sometime in 2019? The year's just getting started. So we've got a whole year to go. Yeah, uh, definitely. We've got some stuff in the can. And uh, like I said, we're finishing up the rock and roll stuff uh, down in Raleigh. And then I go back in the studio up here. And I've got some interesting people coming in to work with me. You know, uh, Steve Broy. Dr. Heathen Scum from the Mentors, you know, yeah. just the people I've run into that we get along and, you know, we, we don't mind writing music together and that's kind of neat. So I've got a, a CD that I'm working on right now and let's just call it novelty material. I like that. I mean, I, I can't even say the titles of some of the songs over the air, okay. <laughs> That's gonna be some good stuff. Hey, well, listen, man, I've been a big fan of yours for decades, man. And as long as you keep putting out music, I'll be there buying and, and playing it. As soon as we get any kind of finished product, I'll make sure John sends some to you first thing. That sounds great, man. Eric, have a great night, my friend. Back at you, partner. Take care. Mr. Eric Moore of the Gods. Let's get into some music right now. New music coming on RFL Records, one of my favorite labels out there. Go to the website, buy their albums, buy their artists, and support. Here you go. Got to keep running.
Quads, Violation. Carl Kennedy has his hands on a lot of different projects. Kilo Coast, uh I forgot the name of the other band. Uh, is it St. Thomas or something? I don't even remember the, the name of the group. And uh, hopefully this year we'll get some new Rods music out of the band. It's been quite a few years since they've done anything. We'll see what happens. All right. Before uh, we spoke with Eric Moore, we were talking about the festivals. And I was saying, like, when Keep It True came out, you know, it was great because they tried to reunite. You know, the whole metal scene was all but collapsed at that time. It was fragmented. There were a lot of great underground bands that kind of disappeared for good. And, and the promoters of that festival, you know, did their best to get a lot of those bands back together, reunite them. There was at least, you know, if there were five guys in the band, you had at least three of the original members and the key members, you know. And But over the years, it seems like they focused on getting any band they can back together with any members possible. So last year they announced that Cities, you know, was getting back together. And I feel like before the original lineup, but AJ Pirro, you know, he passed away, so he can't be there. And Cities really never had a steady drummer. They've had a lot of drummers that came and gone from the band. It was always Sal on bass and, and Ronnie on vocals and Steve on guitar. Those were the three key members of the group. And they were getting back together to reunite. You know, so they did do a reunion show sometime in the 90s in Brooklyn. I, I kind of missed it because I wasn't internet savvy back then and I didn't uh, know about it. Uh, but, you know, three of the four guys, that was pretty cool. And it's the three main members of the band. I don't know what happened with Ronnie that he uh, can't make it or perform at the show. I know Steve is going through a lot of medical issues right now. And there's a GoFundMe page up for him to try to help cover some of his expenses right now. So I get why he can't be there. And we've had Sal on the show many times in the past. Sal's a great guy. He's always been the main guy behind the scenes of Cities. You know, but if you're not going to get the three original guys back together, the guitar player, the vocalist, to me, I say don't do it. You know, the promoters put things out there. You know, let me know what you think. Nobody's going to say don't have, don't bring them on, don't have it. But, you know, without those three guys, I really feel they shouldn't even go over there. It's just going to be Sal playing bass. Now, listen. I'm a bass player myself. Nobody came to see my band in the 80s because I was playing bass for them. They came to hear my guitar play and see my singer, the front man of the band. I was just there. Even though I wrote all the music, handled all the handled every, all the bands, uh, you know, business and stuff like that, nobody came to see me. Nobody goes to see just the bass player in a band unless you're Billy Sheehan, Jocko when he was alive, Stu Ham, you know, maybe Bootsy Collins, George Clinton and stuff like that. Nobody's going just to see the bass player. You know, and I don't mean any disrespect to Cities because I love them. They're one of my all-time favorite bands. But if you just got Sal going over there, I want to hear Ronnie sing. I want to hear Ronnie's voice. Ronnie's the voice of that band. If you can't make it, don't do it. You know, that's just how I feel. And I feel like they're willing to settle on any one member of any band, no matter who they are, and they build up a lineup around them. And, you know, and I'm listening to some of the co- – not listening to, but reading some of the comments on, on Facebook. And people are like, who cares who's in the band? I just want to hear the music. Well, then hire four guys from Germany to come over for, for a dollar each. Let them play all the music if that's all you want to hear. I don't get it. That's a cover band then. It's a cover band. It's not Cities. It's not any other band on the bill. It's a cover band. I don't know who said that. I don't want to call out any names, but the moron that said, I don't care who's in the band. You know, so let's let's have a band come over. Let's, let's advertise Ozzy Osbourne. We won't have Ozzy there. We'll just get anybody else to come in and fill in for him because they just want to hear the music, not Ozzy sing Ozzy's songs. That was the stupidest comment I ever heard. You know, if you can't get the majority of one of these bands back together, don't have them on. They got John Cyrus coming over. John Cyrus has his own band right now. I can't even remember the name of it. I want to say it's Fahrenheit something, if, he, if he's even right with, 
with that, but they're billing it as John Cyrus's Asian Steel. It's not. He has his own band with a different name, but they're billing it as that. Yes, John was the voice of that band, but he didn't write any of the music. He thinks he did. He thinks a lot of things. He thinks, you know, <laughs> anybody knows things about John Cyrus knows he's way out there. You know, and I was just reading an article in an old issue of Metal Forces. It was number 22 where they interviewed him. And this was right after he moved to Florida. Why in the 80s anybody would move out of California or New York at two prime hubs for metal? Remember, these are pre-internet days. To go to Florida is, is beyond me. But he had his reasons, and he left, and everybody in the band left but him and the drummer. And he says, well, we're the original guys in the band. And Metal Force is kind of, you know, so, you know, what happened? He was like, well, we wanted to go in a different direction, and they weren't capable of writing that kind of music. Then he talks about how Juan Garcia was working on a song. I think it was Day of Guyana. And he says, well, I hummed it to him how I wanted it to go, and it took him six months to write it. And I said, if you can't finish writing the song, you're out of the band. You know, so John Cyrus didn't really have anything to do with the music writing in the band. It was all the other guys. And he says, we got the greatest lineup together right now. This is what it should be. This is the lineup I always wanted. Nothing came out of the band after that. The band just faded into obscurity. All that great music we could have had if they were able to keep that original lineup together. Who knows where Adrian Steele would have been? They did have everything, the looks, the songs, the sound. You know, they just disappeared and faded out until 10, 15 years later when those guys that were kicked out of the band put the band back together. I think uh, Bruce Hall was on vocals at that time. Uh, I'm not really sure, but to end this rant, no more with these festivals putting on lineups that have one original member, not even the key member of the band. Enough. You know, maybe it's time for these things to uh, finally come to an end. Here in the U.S., a lot of these festivals are coming to an end. I don't know if it's because the promoters are just tired of taking losses. They lay out a lot of money, invest a lot of time and energy into these shows, and, you know, the crowds just aren't there. A lot of it has to do with where these festivals are located. They're not in key areas. But, you know, here in New York, you would think you'd be able to draw a good crowd and the Rage of Armageddon Festival last year, if there were 30 people in that room, at least when I was there, we were so late, I had to leave. I couldn't even stay till the end, but nobody's showing up anymore. That's just the bottom line. Nobody's showing up, you know, at least here in America. And most, I think a lot of it has to do because a lot of these festivals just keep recirculating the same bands, the same lineups over and over again. You go from a festival in California to a festival in Milwaukee to a festival in Chicago. It's just the same bands over and over again. Maybe that's why. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Rant over. All right. Hey, we're going to go 15, 20 more minutes. We're going to wrap it up here tonight. Uh, but I do want to thank Eric Moore for being on tonight's show. It's always great talking to a guy who's been around in this business and this scene for as many years as he has. Next week, we're back live the 20th. It's a holiday weekend. I believe it's uh, Martin Luther King Day next uh, Monday. So we're all off from work. So hopefully you can join me Sunday night and chill out for a little bit. I got to be honest, I don't even know who we have on the show next week. And we have two small local artists putting out debut records, uh, one from here in the U.S., one from over in Sweden, I believe. We'll be talking to them, and we're going to close out the month with Burnt Offerings. Uh, already setting up February guests, so I'll let you know about that as time goes on. We've still got a couple of weeks left in this month. All right, let's see. What can we do for everybody right now? How about some Heathen's Rage? It's been quite a while since we've played them on the show. Here you go.
Overkill, Deny the Cross. The band has a brand new record coming out in about four weeks. You know, the way things go today, you can always get it early. It's probably available on some download sites, <laughs> illegal download sites. The Wings of War comes out, I believe, on the 22nd of February on Nuclear Blast Records. I'm sure we'll have Bobby on the show again sometime during the month. He's always come on when he has a new record out there. Uh, I believe this will be the first record with Jason Bittner on drums. Uh, and other than that, it still has Bobby and D.D., you know, the last couple of Overkill records, I want to say maybe the last two or three before this one, were pretty good records. Uh, the Electric Age, White Devil Armory, The Grinding Wheel. Are, are they, you know, uh, Feel the Fire, Taking Over, Under the Influence Good? No. Nowhere near that, but they're better than Kill Box and Bloodletting and Necroshy. <laughs> no, so we'll see what happens. I mean, I've actually heard most of the record. It's a really good album. So I know Bobby Gustafsson would disagree, but, you know, <laughs> Uh, it is what it is. Listen, you're either a fan or you're not. That's all it comes down to. All right, let's jump right back into the music here. You know, we were talking about the festivals for an email. Like you said, most people, especially in Europe, they consider these festivals like a gathering place, a place to hang out with their comrades and have a good time. And I agree with that. It just bothers me, like, when a lot of these bands, it's not even the band's fault, it's the promoters. You know, the bands, you know, you get a lot of guys, it's just, they want to just play. They're happy that people remember their music, the band, they just want to get out there. So I do get that part of it, but. I feel if you can't get the majority of that lineup together, and it has to be the singer and at least one of the original guitar players, in my opinion, you know, just move on to another band and try again. Just let it go. Maybe next year, the year after, that, cities would have been able to do it, you know. Hopefully, Steve is going to get better. I actually, I don't know what happened to Ronnie. And, you know, whatever drummer they were using, I'm sure they're still going to use the same drummer now. Uh, try again. Don't just force it upon people. That's how I feel, but that's that. All right. Well, we, like we were saying that, you know, Steve Riley from L.A. Guns, uh, not the new version of L.A. Guns. I guess he has his version, the Steve Riley version of L.A. Guns. They're going to be playing at the M3 Festival. To me, this is one of the worst festivals ever. Especially here. I mean, it does well. I mean, it's always got a full crowd, it seems. But they just rehashed the same washed-up 80s hair metal bands year after year after year. What it appears that, like, two years ago, I guess L.A. Guns was supposed to perform. Uh, they backed out at the last minute for whatever reasons. I don't remember. I think I, I read somewhere why, but I, I can't recall right now. And then the next year they were supposed to play and they backed out again for whatever reason. So the promoters contacted Steve Riley this year to be on the festival with like ex LA gun members and other members of other bands and going out there and doing LA gun songs. Uh, so it was probably more of like a payback thing to fuck and twist the balls of, you know, Tracy guns and Phil Lewis by bringing Steve Riley there to play because they backed out on, on the festival twice. That's why I say shame on these promoters. They, they, are completely ruining the scene that we took decades to rebuild again by doing shit like this, you know? That's just the way it is. And the fans should react by saying, you know what? I'm not going to buy a ticket. It'll never happen, but, you know, that's, you know, how I feel. All right, enough about that nonsense. All right, let's get back to the music. How about some siren lines of steel? <laughs>
The band is going to reunite. I Right now, if you want to hear, it's just a one-off show, April 13th out in California. It's uh, all the classic lineup, uh, except for uh, Phil. Uh, no, Phil Drum was actually playing. It's Rob Flynn was not going to be a part of it. But Dean Dell will be there on bass, Phil Dremel on guitar, Sean Killian on vocals. He's been going through a lot with his medical issues. Uh, hopefully, he's over them and he's better. I don't know how serious it was. Be honest with you, I try not to uh, pay attention to other people's illnesses. And Perry Strickland on drums. They are getting together. They're going to do the Eternal Nightmare. I'm not sure who the fifth guy is taking over for Rob uh, on guitar, but I'm sure somebody they know and close to the band. They're going to do the entire Eternal Nightmare record, which this comes off of, and maybe a few other songs here and there. It should be pretty cool. Hopefully, it'll be a nice crowd, and maybe if all the band members are doing well and healthy right now, they'll keep it going. That would be pretty cool, without a doubt. All right, we're going to wrap it up here tonight. I want to thank Eric Moore of The Gods for being on the show. Next week, we have uh, Flight and a guitar player called Brady Noratovi, or Nanatovi, I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> He's got his first solo record coming out. We'll talk to him all about that. He's an instrumentalist. So I will see you guys next week. Have a great one. How about we wrap it up with a little something? Not too sure what. Let me see. What How about Kamikaze? I haven't played them on the show in a long time. Here's a song called D-Metal. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday. Hey.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.